thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Wyndham Championship, DraftKings Picks, and Preview, Rick Gaiman, at Rick Run Good. Now on Twitter, will be joining me in just a second, but I want to let everyone know how they can get into some draws for $20 DK dollars and to become a member of FantasyNational.com. Right now, the golf season's not over. There's still like Boku bucks to be won in DraftKings golf for the rest of the season. Then like the new season starts like midway through September. So build your nice bankroll for football right now or just hold it over to the swing season when we actually do print. Like my picks have been so garbage for like the past three months. Swing season, early season, when like people are paying half attention, that is when Fantasy National really hammers down and gives you the good picks because not everyone is just kind of playing them. You're playing against people who are just like, oh, I'm playing football this week. I'll play some golf too. That's when you can really capitalize. We had a great swing season the past two years. I expect another really nice one for the upcoming season. So fantasynational.com, become a member, hit the description or comment section of this video or podcast and check out the link to the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open. 3,000 spots this week. It's over half filled already. So you're going to want to get into the best no-rake tournament. Well, it's the best tournament because it has no rake on DraftKings. But if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and then tell me which player over $9,000 this week is most likely to miss the cut. Rick Gaiman from DFSOnDemand.com is on the line with me right now. How do you like my draw versus your draw from last week? Uh, well, I like it better because of the timing. Yeah, I, I had a draw last week. Which guy over 10K is going to miss the cut? It was a no-cut event. Uh, everyone told me what an idiot I was. It probably got more comments than, than anything else. So maybe I was a genius for doing it. But no, I was actually just an idiot. No, see, I, I think that works really well. You got to, because Twitter will like track engagement on anything and it'll like pump you up to suggested follows lists and things like that. That's how you rig the algorithm. Hey, it's the Tim Andrecast strategy of just having bad takes. Right. Forcing people to reply and tell you how wrong you are is probably not a bad strategy. It's why trolls exist on the internet and they have a ton of followers. Anyway, you can also get into a draw for 20 DK bucks by leaving a review for the audio podcast, five stars, DraftKings handle something nice about the show, or following me on Instagram at the PME, liking one of the golf photos that is up there, leaving your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Boom. All winners will be announced on next Monday's show. Jeff Feinberg says he will be there for that. But as I talked to Jeff yesterday, I recommend you go back out, back and check out that show. But in the time between then and now, Jeff has become a father for the second time. Uh, Isabel River Feinberg entered the world this morning. So congratulations to Jeff, his family, his wife, healthy baby. So everyone go tweet at Jeff and you know, give him your congratulations. And he would, Rick, he wasn't able to get Rivers as the middle name, so it's just River. I think he did a hell of a job. I mean, to, to even get that close, uh, I, I can't imagine the negotiations that he might have had to go through for that. I think Jeff did an excellent job. Congrats to him. Congrats to the family. And congrats to you as well. You're now a married man. You're just back from your honeymoon. There's a lot going on here. Everyone everyone said, hey, Wyndham Championship, the FedEx Cup playoffs. You know, this is a good time to take a vacation. Yeah, that's right. Let me, let me head to Mexico for a week. I was uh, watching Rory shoot a whatever it was, 78 in the open round at the Open Championship. I thought he was playing great, Pat, but I was pretty intoxicated, so everything looks pretty good to me. Yeah, he played much better the next day. When he missed that like one-foot putt that ended up costing him the cut, that probably wasn't the best. But hey, if you were so drunk, it didn't matter. That, that sounds like a great situation to be in than actually having money on Rory at the Open Championship. Yeah, exactly. He looked he looked a lot like I do. I, I miss those like 15 inch putts all the time. I was, you know, laying around it. Everything looked good. I couldn't uh, you couldn't pull me down. So I saw that you had released an episode that I went and listened to it on your podcast feed about the merger between DraftKings and the PGA. Then we got to talking. Um, obviously, there's not going to be a live final this year. I hope hopefully that's something that comes in the future. There's just not enough time left to organize that because people are like, oh yeah, let's have a live final this year. It's like, we're going to do it. The tour championship with like okay. a weird scoring system and only 30 players in the field with no cut. No one wants that. Like if you had qualified for the fantasy golf world championship and that is the tournament where you actually had to go make your picks, that would be just horrible. Uh, it would really take away any advantage that you had. And obviously you're good enough to qualify or you got really lucky one week, whichever one it might be, but it takes a lot of the skill out of the equation 
because we don't even know how that tournament's going to unfold. I liked your idea of just picking a tournament to go to, and maybe we'll just have like our own live final, something like that. And I, I think Mayakoba is the one. If it wasn't the middle of football season, it seems like the best bang for your buck. Pat, you, I was trying to rally up the troops to get to Mayakoba. That, it would be the, the perfect situation. You, you still might find me down there. I'll, I'll go by myself if I have to. But no, to your point, I mean, I think it would be really cool to, to kind of get everybody. Uh, I mean, there's so many tour stops. We can figure something out. It doesn't have to be like the official live final. We'll go. We'll hang around, maybe uh, find a place to play golf. Like, I, I, I want to do that. I think it's a really good community. So um, trying to narrow down what those locations might be. Everybody wants to do the waste management uh, that, on that, the classic. I, I've been to the waste management. Probably not the ideal setup. If you don't have a box on 16, yeah. it's an absolute gong show. There are so many people there. That's a, that's exactly kind of the same thing that I've heard. So I'm I'm fading away from the waste management. Um, Tory Pines, I'm I'm out close to Tory Pines. They've got two courses, so everybody kind of gets spread out the first couple of days. So that might be a better viewing experience. So Honda was in there. We're we're trying to figure it out, but I think it's something we got to do next year. I'm telling you, Canadian Open. You Americans come up to Canada, your dollar goes an awful long way. I can take a ten dollar Uber to the course. It'll be perfect. I do love a good exchange rate, so uh, that's that's a good flirt for me. And Toronto in the end of June. Pretty nice weather, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been fantastic here for like two months. I was going to say, is that the six-week window where it's like good weather? That's oh, right in there? six-week window. <laughs> you listen to your California privilege coming through. We get like a solid seven, eight weeks of good weather up here, all right? I know. I, I said something on Twitter about the West Coast and my my Philly buddies just absolutely shredded me. They told me give up your you know give up your East Coast card. I'm a full uh, full Californian now, so super snobby. Yeah, I would probably trade in that card too. I'd give up my Canada card and take the California card any day where it's just kind of nice and like 70 degrees 11 months of the year. I could handle that. I think. Yeah, we're 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 ready for you. Come on out. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, can you lower your tax rate a bit? Then I might be good. No, they, that's, the, that's the old sunshine tax. You got you to gotta pay that for, uh, for the palm trees, baby. All right, so it looks like I'm moving to Arizona or New Mexico then. That's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to end up. So let's talk about the Wyndham Championship and the course itself. You released uh, at just a screenshot on Twitter uh, right after the WGC ended, focusing on driving accuracy. Do you think that you will be targeting these driving accuracy mavens? Six of the past eight winners of the Wyndham Championship have finished inside the top 15 in driving accuracy for the week. But is that just enough to get you onto someone, do you think? Or do they need to have you know, other skills to go along with it? Yeah, so so not necessarily is driving accuracy the only thing, of course. It is it is more important this week than other weeks on the PGA Tour, which is kind of the thing that I was mostly getting at when, when we throw this type of stuff out on Twitter. And where I, where I found that it was able to kind of uh, bear itself was in some of those value picks. It's like the Ryan Armors. It's the long shots. It's the guys under 7,500, things like that, that their accuracy allows them or puts them in a position where most weeks they're, they're not able to find success at a course. They can find it here at Sedgefield. So um, obviously someone like Brant Snedeker, who's not known for his accuracy off the tee has had plenty of success here. So I, it's certainly not just the only thing that I'm looking at, but I'm certainly weighing whether it's accuracy strokes gained off the tee, good drive percentage, fairways gain, like all those driving stats that, uh, show that you're a better driver of the golf ball than the rest of the field. I'm definitely weighing them more this week. Yeah, the big one that I'm using, I actually mixed it into my modeling on fantasynational.com, is the Fantasy National stat fairways gained. I like it more than driving accuracy because driving accuracy doesn't really give you a good gauge. I mean, it does. Like, if, you know, if you're just offhand and looking at it, the guys at the top are going to be fairly straight hitters and find fairways more often. But a lot of driving accuracy really depends on where you play. Like, if you played Kapalua and the John Deere and some of these places with super wide fairways, like, yeah, you're going to hit like 80% of the fairways. You go to a course almost like Innisbrook uh, the Copperhead Resort for the Valspar like it's hard to hit fairways there so you know is hitting 65 percent of fairways at Innisbrook equivalent to hitting 85 percent of fairways at uh, at Kapalua or even if you take something like the Sony Open where the field hits like 50 percent and it doesn't really matter but it would be weighed against you in driving accuracy when you look at something like fairways gained it just measures your performance against the field that week and gives you a ranking. So you would have to hit like 90% of the fairways at Kapalua versus the 80 that the field hits in order to actually come out positive on that end. So I do like that stat a little bit more because it kind of, it doesn't 
work you know as a one-off for every single course on tour but i think it gives you a better gauge on who the most accurate players are so i weighted that in the other things that i really weighted in there are eight par fours between 400 and 450 yards these shorter par fours so i put that in there the par fives but let me ask you about this with the par fives so looking at par fives gained or par five scoring par five birdies are better whatever it might be is usually one thing if it takes, you know, not all the field can reach the greens in two, but all the field, regardless of how short you hit the ball off the tee, are going to be able to attack both of these par fives. 70 eagles the last, or actually last year on this course in terms of eagles. Does that de-emphasize par five scoring for you because it's just available to the entire field now? It doesn't show you who's actually better at some of these longer par fives because there are none? Yeah, I, I think it does. It's it's one of these things when when I run all the stats through and, and I think, uh, you know, all across the industry, a lot of us do this right to try to figure out what the most important stats are. Um, par five scoring does usually show up on on these par 70s, even though there are a bunch of par fours, because you only get two opportunities to take advantage of par fives. Um, unfortunately, it didn't even come close for me this week in the model because of what I what I believe is what you just described, Pat, which is everyone has access to these par fives. It's not like half the field can get there in two. There's not really a risk reward aspect to it. It's just like, hey, they're almost like long par fours. Everyone's playing it. There's not a huge edge on either side of it. And it did not show up as, as one of the most important stats. It was, it was actually quite interesting to see. Yeah, when I looked at it, like the overall field, like if you go to the course uh, breakdown page on Fantasy National, it shows you whether the top 20, the top 10, top five miscut, players the winner like you can search by certain strokes gain stats of whatever you would like to see the finishing position of these guys par five gained rates out higher than par fours gained or par threes gained and it's substantially higher which usually leads me to believe that the par fives are just easy and then the brian gaze and ryan armors of the world can really go attack them as well so it's really tough to overweight that by any means you'd want it at a course where you mentioned the risk reward is a lot higher than the hideki's of the world really separate themselves from the pack because you know that they'll have the shot to get there in two where that's not the case this week so besides approach did you factor in these par fours uh, like i did because there's eight of them Yep. I, I do like, I do like par four scoring um, approach is always going to be important. And then the other one that that popped up for me when I put all 508 stats or whatever it is for the PGA tour through um, is bogey avoidance. And what I've noticed, Pat, is this comes up on either very difficult courses or very easy courses, um, which kind of makes sense because if you're at the U S open, if you can avoid making a bogey, like pars are a good score, but when you get to these very easy courses, which I think um, Sedgefield's, what, 40 out of 50 in, in scoring, something like that, it's going to be a low number that wins this. Uh, you might be losing ground making pars already. If, if you make a bogey, you're like losing two strokes on the field. So it's interesting to see that bogey avoidance showed up on a, a very easy course. It only, it only shows up on the two uh, ends of the spectrum. It's, I feel like strokes gained around the green is very much the same way too. Like guys hit over an average amount of greens and regulation at Sedgefield. So if you're relying on your around the green game, that's probably not a great thing. Yeah. You're, you're already a little bit behind the eight ball. You need like a, you know, a, a Spethian around the green game to, to stay in it and maybe hold a couple out. So I've sorted by the past 24 rounds by fairways gained. So the best crossover I've found, the top 10 in fairways gained over the past 24 rounds, Reavy, Duffner, Armour, Stanley, Long, Hovland, Stewart, Zach Johnson, Austin Cook, and Jonas Blix. The only guys that cross over as high ranks in some of the other metrics, both Armour and Shez Reavy rank inside the top 10 of 400 and 450 yard par fours in that time. Uh, Hovland is second tee to green. He's fourth in approach and fifth in birdies or better gain. He's also second in the proximity range from 175 to 200 yards. So I think that not just looking at fairways gain, but seeing if those players actually do something else well correlates better than just being like, this guy hits a ton of fairways. He must be good. Yeah, for sure. And especially the further you get down the board, you start to get into like almost like specialists, right? Like you, you mentioned Brian Gay, you mentioned Ryan Armour. Um, both of those guys we know are great at hitting the fairway, but if one thing goes wrong, like that's their only out. So getting somebody who at least has something other than uh, a straight driver, maybe it is they can they can perform on par fours. Maybe they they're better than average on approaches. Especially the further you get down the board, if you can find guys with one and a half, two skills, uh, you're you're doing better than their peers. 
So let's talk about the plus 10K players in the field now. Webb Simpson, coming off a great week at the WGC, is the most expensive player. He's 11200 The last time he was above $11,000, he came T3 at the RSM back in the swing season. Then it's Hideki, Spieth, Morikawa coming off the win, the defending champ, Brant Snedeker, who was very good, T to green, on the weekend at the WGC, just could not get that putter rolling. In a 156-man field, it's a full field, and the back end being kind of crappy. I might be good with avoiding all of these guys above $10,000 and just starting my teams in the nines. It's going to be tough. Um, I, I'm happy to avoid three of these guys. Like I, I've, I have pretty little interest in Spieth, Hideki, and, and Morikawa. Uh, the other two, Webb and, and, and Brant, will probably reel me in. Now, it's early in the week. I haven't started building these lineups yet. I imagine you, to your point, Pat, it is going to be a little difficult to uh, stomach some of these lineups if, if we have to put one of these guys in. But I think there are some value plays. Um, we've already mentioned a couple of them under 7K that I think you can kind of balance it out a, li a little bit if you want to go get Webb, if you want to go get Brant, like I'm kind of looking at. So it, it's going to depend a lot on building what you're able to stomach. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't kill you for starting below it. I just don't think I'll get there. So uh, early returns, we were discussing this on a Tuesday morning, so obviously ownership calculations are going to vary a lot over the next 36 hours or so, but it is looking like Webb Simpson uh, is going to be the highest owned player. People are paying up for the safety, at least perceived safety of Webb, and he's been excellent at this course. He's won at this course almost a decade ago, but has turned out a bunch of top fives along the way. Like I haven't projected anywhere between like 21 and 26% because I think a lot of people are finding similar values that you're seeing down at the bottom. Like Sean Stephanie is one that just the stat heads are going to love this week. He's only $6,900. So I can see a lot of combinations of Webb Simpson, Sean Stephanie, potentially Ryan Armour as well, and just flooding your lineups that way and trying to figure it out in between. I have nothing against Webb at his price. I actually quite like Webb. I like him the most of all of the plus 10K players, but I don't love what that does to my lineups at the very bottom. Like, I don't have a whole lot of faith in some of these $6,000 guys as well as they rate out. Yeah, it's that combination that you mentioned, Webb and Ryan Armour, or even our buddy Andrew Landry's down there. Like, I think those will be popular starting places uh, and then having to differentiate, differentiate yourselves in other spots. It's, it's really just a matter of, um, I think, what type of contest you're playing, right? I mean, Webb, Webb named his daughter Wyndham after this event. Like, he, like he loves it here, and it's, uh, the record shows it. He's been absolutely excellent. So it, it's not a matter of, is Webb a good play? It's a matter of, um, are you able to build five other guys around him and, and feel comfortable with it when you press the submit button? The, the other big thing, too, like... Uh, well, I acknowledge that, like Webb is the favorite, the betting favorite in this tournament. Hideki's one of the best players on earth, and he's here, and no one really seems to care. But when I look at the $10,000 guys and the $9,000 guys, I really don't see that big of a gap in talent, to be perfectly honest with you. No, I mean, even when you get down under 10K, like like Paul Casey, who we'll probably yeah. have to talk about, like he, he's sitting there, 9,800 bucks. Like if you wanted to start your lineups there, uh, you'd probably be very different. Paul Casey is a, another guy who probably isn't being talked up enough already early in the week. So um, there isn't a huge difference. Uh, you know, Snedeker, as much as I love Snedeker this week, he obviously gets the 10K boost for just being here at the Wyndham and shooting a 59 last year and, and going wire to wire and all that good stuff. So uh, you're probably right. There isn't a huge difference between like tier one and tier two here, especially the bottom of tier one and the top of tier two. So like Casey, Reed, Horschel, Hovland, Wolf, Reeve, Sabatini, Neiman, and Cam Smith. That's the entire $9,000 range. I love Reed this week. I'm just going to back Reed. And like, if you tell me that, you know, Jordan Spieth is over a thousand dollars better than Patrick Reed. I just, I'm going to kind of laugh at you because that's not yeah. true. They're about the same. I would think Hovland at $9,500 actually seems like he's kind of underpriced for this field. I know he's going to be popular. I don't care. I think he's probably one of the three best players in this field. So at 9,500 bucks, I'm in on that. And I'll probably just end up riding Neiman, but the other guys that you talked about, like Casey, Shez Reevy rates out just so, so excellent for this field. And even someone like Billy Horschel, like I think I'd be more prone to take Casey or Shez, but it does seem like you can find low owned good players in the 6K area that aren't substantially worse than the 10K guys. Yeah. So, so Reevy apps like breaks my model this week. Me too. Uh, yeah. By, by all accounts, he's like the perfect course fit. He's, he's missed three of the last four cuts here. So, I mean, this is the difference between course history and course fit, I suppose, but uh, excellent, super accurate off the tee. He's like best in the field in par fours. He's great on approaches. 
Um, after that win, he missed a couple of cuts in a row. You know, he had a, a decent performance at the WGC last week. I think he was like T27. So hopefully he's rounding back into it after that, you know, 11-year gap or whatever it was between his two wins. He's, he's getting back into the swing of things. But yeah, he just absolutely breaks it for me. Um, I think I'd be stupid not to get him in, get him in some lineups here. Yeah, T27 last week at the WGC. And that's also like when you think about like strokes gained, that strokes gained against the field. And that was a very high-end field. So it's, you know, it rates it a little bit better than if he had done it at the Barracuda in terms of some of these numbers. And the big thing was he lost a bunch of strokes around the green, 3.2 strokes around the green in the negative of the WGC, lost two strokes putting, gained three and a half off the tee and gained almost three through approach. So the ball striking was top notch. And if we talk about these players that score really well on the par fours from that certain range and hit every fairway, that is Shez Revy. Like, you feel like you almost have to use him, but I don't think that people will go back to him. I'm not, I'm not sure how this plays out for him. Well, I just don't think there's a lot, like, I don't think, I don't think he garners a lot of buzz like over the course of the season. Right. I don't think anyone's ever super excited to play him. Um, and then the fact that you have, uh, you have like, you know, a couple of narratives here. No one wants to play a guy like after he wins and then he goes out and misses a couple cuts and you're like, well, I'm definitely not going to play him. He doesn't have any course. Uh, his course history here stinks. Like there's, there's really no reason to play him unless you're looking at the model, unless you're looking at a course fit and saying, well, here's what I, here's what we've determined are the stats that are able to find success for the Wyndham championship. And Oh, who, who checks off all the boxes? Ches Reeby does. So it's, it's a pretty specific situation that you have to even uncover Reeby as a play and then, again, look at all of that and say, okay, I'm still going to play him after the, the missed cuts and, and the bad course history. One of the fun features of the ownership projections on Fantasy, on Fantasy National is you can see how many people have favored a player, how many people have – you have the calculated ownership as it tries to weight itself out. But you can see how many actual lineups they've been generated in, in the number of lineups that have been generated so far. So he's highly favored favorited this week like people are like oh yeah Shez Reby perfect I'll put him in but he's not ending up in a lot of people's lineups which is kind of funny like he's someone that everyone kind of likes but he's not their first choice in that range like Hovland is the first choice in that range Reed is the first choice in that range or if you build one of these Webb Snedeker teams or Webb Reed teams you just physically cannot afford his salary on it so he's someone that's popping up as like a tertiary or secondary pick that people like but he's not like a full commitment guy I think I might have to go full commitment yeah. here on Shez put him in like 30 35% of my lineups he's he's like that friend that you only hang out with when that other friend is there like when your better friend is there so if you don't get the the better friend in you're not getting Revy here it's it's one of those situations where he's never the the first man in listen I, I'm almost uh, like I've played Revy the last uh handful of weeks I've been burned a couple of times I had plenty of them when he when he raised the trophy on Sunday Sunday evening it, it's one of these situations where I'm kind of able to ignore the noise um I agree with you he will very likely be one of my core plays, 9,300 bucks. That feels like a steal here. Uh, the two lowest owned players I've projected in the $9,000 area right now are Cam Smith and the Wolfman. Everyone's over the Wolfman now, but he wasn't a disaster at the WGC. It's like Morikawa gets this big bump because he won the Barracuda. Wolf went out and competed at a WGC and performed pretty well. Yet Morikawa gets the huge bump in pricing. He gets a huge bump in odds. And everyone's like, oh, Matthew Wolf, he won like you know three weeks ago. He sucks now. Yeah, he, he's terrible. Um, I'm trying to pull up his stats for – I feel like he closed well. Okay, yeah, Matt Wolf's weekend, he was uh, five under on Saturday. He was another one under on Sunday. I thought he held his own in that field, uh, seemed to get more comfortable as the week went on. Uh, he has such a, a unique elite skill set that he's – I like – it's interesting when we see these young guys go to courses for the first time and see what they're going to be able to do. And some of them are just able to adapt. And I have a feeling that that Wolf's skill set allows him to find success in a lot of different places. So um, I certainly won't kill you for going to Wolf. And then um, Cam Smith, which you mentioned, he I think the perception of Cam Smith is is does not align with the actual reality around Cam Smith. He's got a couple of, of really good finishes in a row, but you know, we've kind of seen him whether it's at, you know, only for a few holes over the course of a tournament, like he'll be at the top of the leaderboard. He'll be in second place. He'll be up there contending. And then he finishes, you know, T12 or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, that's kind of a disappointment. When, when really, if you would have told me before the tournament started that, that Cam Smith was going to finish in 12th for the WGC, I would have been super stoked about it. So uh, I think perception's a little off on Cam Smith. I, I agree with both of those guys. So for me, it's going to be Reed. It's going to be Hovland. It's going to be Reavy, and then probably Joaquin Neiman. I just can't quit Neiman. It feels like he's really close, doesn't it? 
I mean, I guess closer than he's been in a while. Yes. Uh, this is certainly the most life he has shown in the last, like, I don't know, what's it been 12, 15 months, um, of him being a pro. So, so yes, now I don't know how close he is, but he's closer than he's been in recent memory. Yeah. Before the open, the miscut at the open. I mean, that that's going to happen to some people. He was 10th, 23rd, 5th and 5th. It's not bad for Das Wonder. No. We've all moved on to the new rookies, but forget this guy is like really good. Yeah, and he's still like I don't even know how old he is. He's like twenty two years old or something. Like the kid's gonna be, he's gonna be just fine. I think I think it might have been you and I who talked about this a year ago. Like he's gonna have really good stretches of golf. He's gonna have really bad stretches of golf. A lot of these guys who come out uh, and turn pro, they're they're just very inconsistent. It doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're never gonna win. It just means you're gonna have huge volatile results from him. And that's kind of what we've seen from Neiman over the course of the year. And he started, looks like he's starting to figure things out. And yeah, your point, like everybody misses the cut at the, at the British Open. Who cares? 8K range. I don't really know what to do in here because there's just like sort of your tour guy name, like Howell, Norin, Glover, Keimer, Hadwin, Fratelli, Sungjae, Benny Ann, Piercy. Co-crack. That's the entire 8K range. No one's super inspiring, but I did find that just looking at leaderboards and not really digging any more into it, that the Wyndham really crosses over with the Heritage really, really well. Uh, you know, it's a shorter course. It's similar fields. Uh, when you look at it, any skill set can kind of play. Accuracy is a bigger factor there, the shorter par fours. That It kind of points me to Hadwin a little bit. I do like the way he's been playing as well. Uh, Hadwin's Hadwin I like I think he's kind of middle of the pack for me uh the guy that I will probably be, be focusing my uh attention at in this range is Lucas Glover um super accurate off the tee uh makes uh plays plays par fours really well his results coming into this he didn't play he hasn't played since the British Open 20th place finish 10th at the John Deere 7th at the 3M he's playing well uh his stats uh you know seem his skill set seems to line up here with being able to hit the ball straight uh, making a lot of birdies on par fours. He seems to be a pretty decent fit. Uh, so I think he's going to get a lot of my attention there. Yeah, he's made the cut at this tournament in his past three appearances as well. All finishes inside the top 35. So yeah, uh, he feels like more like a cash game guy to me. I, I don't know if he's, do you think he can go out and contend and try to win this thing? No, I mean, there's there's probably only a handful of guys that can that can go out and contend in, in most fields. But uh, to your point, Glover's Glover's ceiling is probably like, uh, fifth place, something like that. His, his floor is probably, you know, making the cut more often than not. I agree. I don't think he's ever going to burn you here. Um, especially because he, he doesn't make a lot of bogeys. Um, he's, he's a pretty safe guy. His scoring in general is pretty consistent. So, uh, I think, yeah, he's, I think he's a pretty safe bet to make the cut. I think he's a, a pretty, pretty big long shot to actually win it, but top 10, certainly not out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, are we just overlooking for Telly after his winning, like pretty good performance at the British open and a nice performance the week before the John Deere at the three M as well. Does it feel like his run is over? Cause it, I'm not hearing any buzz about uh, nylon dylon for Telly. Were you hearing buzz before the win on him? I mean, I, I mean, I had bet him four consecutive weeks before the week that he won. So I was on him until I wasn't. And then he finally broke yes. through. All right. Well, don't don't bet him this week. I was actually pretty impressed that he was able to back up the win, go straight to Northern Ireland, uh, played well. You know, he ends up making the cut. I think he finished in like 32nd. Like it was it was a good stretch for for Telly. I think he's got a, a decent game. I mean, the only knock against him is that he can't putt very well. But um, I'm, I'm team no putt. Like, give me those guys uh, all day long. So you can certainly get me to go there. I, he's probably the third, um, maybe after like Glover had win. Fratelli might be a guy that the way if I had to rank them is, is probably third for me. Yeah, it's just strange. Like looking at this entire 8K range, besides Glover and Hadwin, who do hit you know a good amount of fairways, everyone else kind of sucks at finding the fairway. That if it's their first time coming to this course or they don't have a bunch of experience here or they're just not what we consider to be like high-end birdie makers, that they're probably just all fades to tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. I've seen Martin Keimer's name kicked around because he's got like three or three good rounds at at uh, Sedgefield over the course of the last three or four years. But this he's pretty bad on par fours. I, I've got little excitement. I think if if you're rostering Keimer, uh, good luck to you. I I can't get there. But that's another name I saw. Yeah, I, I think that I mean Keimer. I get it. Like you just you bank on the skill set. The approaches are back. Like he's tenth in this field over the past 24 round and strokes gained approach. But I don't know, like if I'm going to build a lot in this like $9,000 area and I really compare the $9,000 area and the talent gap between the 10 K's is not that steep. I don't find that there's a considerable gap between like the eight K's and a lot of these seven K guys, to be perfectly honest. 
Yeah, it's they're all kind of just mushed together, right? And and the the odds, the the Vegas odds came out, which kind of dictate a lot of the a lot of the salaries and guys are only separated by a hundred bucks, and everyone seems to be this this would be like the the forty to fifty to one range on the betting board where everyone is forty or fifty to one and everyone is the same price, and it's just like, well, just start picking them out um, now because of that, like, and that's kind of a situation where to me. You know, if you only spend forty nine thousand five hundred, you don't have to worry about ownership at all. You know, the, a little difference between a hundred bucks here, two hundred bucks on another guy seems to be very similar in expected value when it comes to DraftKings scoring. You get yourself to a lineup that's forty nine five. You can go out, take Webb Simpson, take any of the other chalk that you want, which might be a way that I start building my lineups. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about ownership, especially as it pertains to this tournament. Like you mentioned, just leave a bit of money on the table. But yeah. I always find it funny when you release like the optimal lineups and like it's <laughs> like and then people are like, Well, why wouldn't I just leave eight thousand dollars on the board? It's like, well, you can't pick the optimal lineup with fifty thousand dollars. Why would you think that leaving ten thousand dollars on the table, although that was the optimal lineup, is a lineup that you would somehow fall on? Dude, those optimals trigger so many people. I love it so much. That's like the main reason I post them is to get everybody all lathered up every every day. But um, no, to, to your point, it is it is not a a an optimal strategy at all times to just like spend forty seven or forty eight k. Uh, what it what has what my point of this whole thing is. Um, there's not a huge difference between someone at like 86 and 85 or 83 and 82. And if you kind of take a hundred dollars off every guy, you're five or $600 below the salary cap. You have not changed your expected value of return of DraftKings points, but you have significantly increased your chances of being at least a little bit more contrarian as a build of six golfers and to be unique. Like that is the main and basically only takeaway, not go out and spend 43,000 and just pick six guys under seven K. So of the 8K guys, who are your two favorite? I'm going to go with Hadwin and actually Scott Piercy. Anytime we get into a birdie-making situation, I want Scott Piercy. He might shoot plus 20, but he's apt to go minus 25 as well. Yeah, that, that's pretty fair. Um, Glover is, is to me, is a solid one. Um, and then I could probably interchange either Hadwin or maybe Fratelli. I'd probably go Hadwin. And in three starts at the Wyndham Championship, Scott Piercy has made the cut every single time so that's always good news uh but it's like 2014 2016 2018 it's been over the course of some years here for scott piercy let's take a break so i can tell you about away the thoughtful luggage for modern travel away creates a thoughtful product designed to change how you see the world they started with the perfect suitcase created with features that make travel more seamless. And I can actually talk to you. I have a, I actually have an away carry-on. I have the bigger carry-on, which I think everyone should really get if it's a carry-on. You probably want something as big as possible. They're super light as well. It's made traveling much better. It's super sturdy, uh, and it comes with a charger plugged into, like, a, like an external charger plugged into the front of it. So you charge that up. So when you're sitting on the plane and there's no outlets or you're sitting in the A, you're waiting at the gate, you can just plug your phone in, you can plug whatever in uh, and have it go. It just clips in really nicely. It's an awesome feature to have. And it's sized just to make the most of your overhead bin. It's lightweight. It has a durable shell made to last for a lifetime of travel. And the 100-day trial let you try any away product on the road and test it out for yourself don't just take my word for it you should take my word for it because it's excellent by the way but you can just have the 100 day trial and figure it out yourself and a lifetime warranty means they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged and a built-in compression pad helps you pack more into that as well it's tsa approved uh tsa approved combination sorry the locks keep your belongings safe you get to pick your lock you keep it sturdy it's fantastic now the suitcases are designed to last a lifetime but if any part of your suitcase breaks just send it out to the away customer service team they'll arrange to have it fixed or replaced asap and it comes with like a scuffer as well so if you, know, you get a ding on it there's a scuffer that you can just rub on uh, and then you can rub the scuff right off of it and have it looking like new in no time there's free shipping on any order away in the u.s in europe and australia uh, and you can get away offline too you want to see it for yourself you can shop away at their stores in new york austin la san francisco boston chicago and london i've loved it so much it's thoroughly designed very durable and it helps you keep everything organized at a very light weight uh which is fantastic because i mean now that i have the kid i'm carrying the kid in one arm i got the 
I got the stroller pushing with that arm as well. And then I have to carry, you know, I don't want a heavy suitcase. I want something that's lightweight. So this works out perfectly. And knowing that Away will fix or replace my suitcase immediately if anything ever breaks, means I just never have to worry about the luggage. So for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash the PME and use promo code PME during checkout. Again, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash PME and use promo code PMA during checkout. 7K range. The guys that I'm targeting right off the hop, I really like Kyle Stanley this week. I think that he rates out really well. The ball striking has really returned since the Memorial. He's not quite at the level where he was last year, but he seems like he's sneaking back up to that. And you're getting a pretty good discount. Like, I don't think that Kyle Stanley is, you know, substantially worse than Martin Keimer right now or Lucas Glover or Charles Howe. It seems like he should be in that mix, except he's, you know, 800 to to $1,000 cheaper. So I like him a lot. Brian Harmon really pops for me, and that, fucking terrifies me <laughs> yeah you probably should be um I, I remember a time where i used to be like oh brian Harmon, he's the safest player in the field like this I had to be years ago but um i would be a little bit concerned about that here's one that is even scarier uh that keeps showing up what about russ henley uh i hate to even bring it up like i i don't like the guy he's had a, an extended run of playing super poorly and then he goes out Second place at the John Deere Classic. I think he was 15th last week at the Barracuda. Um, accurate enough off the tee. Uh, he's someone that at least moves the needle a little bit for me. I hate this range in general, but Henley at least is interesting. Yeah, if we're talking about like what the stats are telling us, it's the top end of the $7,000 range that really does it for me. So guys, over the past 24 rounds and 50 rounds, that rate out top 25 in the stats that I've run, Streelman is 10th, Henley is 18th, Kyle Stanley is 5th, Seb Straka is 13th, Brian Harmon is 8th, and Doc Redman is 23rd, and Russell Knox 24th, Von Taylor 14th. Like, Stats love the guys in this range, and I don't like any of these guys. So it's probably telling me something that I should be focusing more on these guys. Yeah. Now, this is uh, this is the range where we probably start to get in some of these guys that need to get in, right, for the top 125. I think Duffner is on the bubble. Who else around here is, is du- close? Duffner's not even really on the bubble. Like, he needs a good week in order to get okay. in. Like, Noren is actually the bubble guy right now. He's 125, so he needs to, like, make the cut, and he should be safe. But I'm not trying to project too much onto that, to tell you the truth. Like, what if it's it's one of those things where, oh, yeah, he needs, to, he needs a good week in order to get in. Well, what if the pressure is too much and it goes exactly the opposite way like you can't it's going to work out for someone to be like oh this guy is 138th he needed a good week to get in i'm gonna take him he has a good week and you look like a genius but that probably had nothing to do with him needing to get in you know what i mean yeah and and quite frankly if guys were able to turn it on the week that they needed to be able to do it or on a week-to-week basis they wouldn't be in a situation where they were on the outside of the top 125 looking in they would have already been in because like six weeks ago they would have been like ah now's a really good time for me to start playing well so um i don't think there's that much to it and then i was reading i think it was from the pga tours website like only like five guys who are outside the 125 are going to jump in this week. Like it's not as big of a movement as we like to think it is, or as like the telecast uh, kind of perceives it. It's, it's a lot of it is already pretty locked barring someone going out and winning the thing on the bubble. I think that, I mean, Duffner's a guy I backed throughout the course of the summer and he just completely let me down following the Wells Fargo that now that I'm off of him, that he's probably the guy that breaks through and ends up winning this week. And he's skill set wise writes out really well for this course. I just don't trust him to make enough putts to go out and win this thing. I don't trust him to make any putts. I mean, there, if there is a one golfer on tour that putts like me, it is Jason Duffner, especially over those three footers. Like my knees knock just like he does. So it's, it's not a knock against him. Like, Hey, we're the same guy. Um, what about Doc Redman? Uh, I think, you know, he's been playing well. He's, he's the, the young kid who kind of gets overlooked with some of these other guys, but he's posted some really good finishes. We have a, a much smaller sample size on him than we do on the rest of these guys. But um, I was surprised to see him take the week off at, uh, he didn't play the Open Championship. Oh, no, he did. I was surprised to see him take a couple weeks off recently because I know he's got that non-exempt 
uh, status that he's trying to get into. But he's I, one of these guys that shows up on leaderboards. I thought that he got his status after coming second at the Rocket Mortgage. I actually like Doc Redman a lot. I think that yeah. you can insert him in pretty comfortably. Like there's a few, I mean, I wouldn't call him a Donald Ross specialist at this point, but he did come second uh, at Detroit Golf Club at Donald Ross Design. This is a Donald Ross design. He's going to be in the FedEx Cup playoffs, it looks like. Uh, so maybe he can find his way to Eastlake, and maybe he has a shot there as well. But he hits enough fairways. He makes enough birdies. He's a pretty good putter. Not a great putter. He's a decent putter. Uh, and he does seem like he's coming in at a value. Like, he's not on the level in terms of status as the Morikawas or Hovlands or even Matthew Wolf or even Neiman, who was once the top amateur in the world. But he's like the mini tier behind them, and you're getting a two to $3,000 break on his price. Right. Yeah. And in a field like this, where things go a little uh, haywire, the further down the list you go, and we're talking about names like, oh, can I trust Russ Henley? Can I trust Jason Duffner? Um, talking about guys that are things that guys have a lot to play for. Like this is, you know, you know, Doc Redman's Doc Redman's career, right? He's trying to make a good run in his first real season on tour. Like I, I think he's, you know, I know he's playing much better than, than some of these other guys in the range. And uh, I like his game. So the two guys that I really wanted to focus on here in the $7,000 area, just based on their pedigree, like Martin Keimer is a name that people recognize because the guys won two majors. But if we're thinking about like official world golf ranks or names that we've thought about in previous years, Brennan Grace is in this range, uh, who is not playing well whatsoever, but he is a previous winner at the Heritage, which is a crossover course to this. And Lucas Beauregard is just kind of down there in the $7,000 range. He's a huge boomer bust type of player, but compared to everyone surrounding him, he's like... Like 40th in the world rankings and the guys around him are 300th in the world rankings. <laughs> yeah, I, um, that was one of the names that I did a double take on as, as well for that exact reason, which is like, okay, you know what the, when you, what you get down in like the mid sevens is like, here's all these guys who are, yeah, 300th uh, world ranked golfers. And then you get, you get Beauregard and you're like, oh, well, we've at least seen him get scorching hot for multiple days at a time, which is what you're going to have to do to win a golf tournament, uh, or in his case, maybe come top five. So I think he's somewhat interesting. And then if you want to go just like super recent form, uh, boom or bust in the, in the type of way that you're describing as well, Troy Merritt comes in second last week. He had a top 10 just a few starts ago at the 3M, I believe sandwich that in between a couple of missed cuts like he's someone that again boom or bust no level of consistency but um shows up down here for a pretty good price yeah i have him 22nd rated out nick watney is another player that tends to play well at donald ross designs too uh he's down in this range zach johnson someone who actually does need a good week to get into the fedex cup playoffs i just don't know what to make of him like he's down here Corey connors is down here spawn munoz uh, before and Siwoo Kim is down here, obviously, who is just excellent. There's like 40. Okay, uh, Siwoo, we can talk about. There's like 40 guys in this range of a thousand dollars. It's super interesting. Zach Johnson, I, I think he's just, I don't know, he, he just might be washed at this point. It's definitely the, the down end of his career. And Corey Connors, if uh, you didn't have to putt, he'd win every golf tournament. Um, Siwoo is interesting because when you compare, uh, Maybe it's not the Vegas odds because I know his Vegas odds are pretty long too. But when you compare like expected win percentage, like this guy just won here what three years ago, wasn't it? Brant Stenson and then Siwoo won it three years ago. For him to be as low as he is uh, was a little bit jarring when I first came across it. Yeah, it's funny. Like yeah, he plays well at these shorter courses. Obviously, he won the Players. He he's won here. He's played really well at the Heritage in the past. He played really well at Pebble Beach this season as well. It's it's just one of those things. Either he's on or he's off, and he has been off for some oh, yeah. time now. He's lost strokes on approach in seven consecutive tournaments. He's missed the cut in five consecutive tournaments. I don't know if I want to play him on my DraftKings roster, but I will definitely be betting him at one hundred and sixty to one. Yeah, so so for the record, Siwoo Kim actually has uh, the lowest floor of any projected golfer and one of the, you know, kind of like a medium high floor. So I know my projections are pretty good if that's the case. That sounds exactly like Siwoo. And it's like, every, here's all the low projections. Here's all the floor projections. And then Siwoo is like the very bottom. His floor can be as low as anybody's. So let's talk about these guys in the 6K range that you can fill out your lineup with if you want to go spend at the very top, whether it be Webb and another guy in the 9s, Webb and another guy in the 10s, just two 10K guys. Uh, we mentioned Ryan Armour, Andrew Landry, uh, Joel Damon is one that statistically rates out pretty well here. Adam Long actually popped up for me. Adam Long's probably the one that I'm going to end up using. He's down at $6,500. Um, Peter Malnati is someone we kind of glossed over. He's $7,100. I like Peter Malnati a lot this week as well. 
is there anyone that just leaps off the page to you? Because I don't know if I want to be playing like $6,000 chalk at the Wyndham, Wyndham Championship. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a really scary thought. Um, there is no one that leaps off, but there are the names that you mentioned are, are kind of the similar names that I'm on, right? I think everyone is going to be very interested in Ryan Armour, you know, back to back top eight finishes. He drives the ball really well. I understand it. But if he gets up to the uh, the ranges of ownership where we start to get concerned that he is chalky, it might be an opportunity to go to someone like Andrew Landry, who is finally showing us signs of life recently. He's another guy who hits the ball very straight, hits a lot of fairways. I think he could find success here. Um, the, the other guy then, and we mentioned it at the top, I believe this is like, this is like the one chance a year you get to play, play Brian Gay. Uh, there's only, there's only a couple courses you can play him on every year. It's like the Wyndham, uh, RBC heritage, uh, finished well last year. Like, so if you want to, if you want to go out and get Brian Gay, this is your once a year opportunity, but I'm not super stoked to roster any of these guys. I'm just going to use them as kind of uh, lineup filler and try to spread it around and try to be a little bit different. You're right. I don't want to take the guy down here. That's 20% owned. Is it time to go back to Luke list? Oh man. I don't know. Misser of five straight cuts. Luke list. We might have to have an intervention on Luke list. My friend, I, I just like, there's no life there. Um, I, I, it's, it's really, it's really bad. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him. He was so good. Like in, it, for the while, it was just like, the guy can't putt. If he could just make an average amount of putts, he would have won three tournaments. But it seems like he's now peaked, and it's now just all on the downswing. It really bums me out. Yeah, it's a shame. And it's it's funny, because and we've talked about this. Like Luke List used to break every single model every single week just because he couldn't putt. And you'd have to look at it and be like, Oh, okay, like I Luke List is number three in my model, but like I know what that really means. Now he's not even showing up there, and I'm like, oh man, it must be really bad because he wasn't even getting a, a ton of results. He had a couple of high finishes when he was breaking the model. Now he's not even showing up, so I know it's uh, down in the dumps for for Luke List. Yeah, he he peaked at the PGA Championship when he squeezed out that that finish to get into the Masters for next year. It's like, oh, I'm in the Masters next year. This is great. Now I don't have to do anything for the next twelve months. <laughs> yeah, uh, just wait till April and then start playing again uh yeah there's there's other guys down here i mean i'm not super excited about anybody but i, I you can't get me to luke just trying to see like maybe if i just sort by where's the heritage if i sort by heritage and to see who played well there this year maybe that'll give me some insight on who can just pop up from the back end this year. i remember kokrak made that run on sunday so maybe that's you know, good enough to yep. sort himself you know, out the the gooch is always down here right he's always going to be great with his irons he he can he can kind of uh, pop off at times he can but since he's like come back from injury the irons haven't been very good like he had that nice performance in detroit at the donald ross course that was all putting related shockingly enough yeah and then i think he made a couple cuts but basically he might have got mdf twice in a row like they were both like top they're both like 70th place finishes something like that so he hasn't been great recently since that injury yeah i'm just trying to parse it out i said adam long Damon kind of scares me. Landry and Long are maybe my two preferences down here. Maybe Streb just because he's like playing all right. Yeah, I can I can kind of endorse uh, Adam Long. He he showed up a lot for me last week. Um, the things that I like to do, and this is like super team no putt, is just like go back and and find the guys that are. Um, playing well tee to green and they're and they're way off their baseline for putting so adam long has been one of those guys so the the thought process is okay if, if adam long can just continue to play tee to green as he is and just get back to his normal baseline putting like that's like four extra strokes a tournament right so long was was one of the guys that for especially last week he showed up as one of these guys that has a lot of ceiling left to hit um i haven't seen his name as much this week but i can i can endorse based on just kind of his like last you know month or so Looking at the heritage from just earlier this year, obviously C.T. Pan was in contention at Wyndham last year, blew it on the 72nd hole, but then won RBC Heritage this year, so and there's a nice crossover for you. Scott Piercy came third, J.T. Poston came sixth, Streelman came sixth, Merritt came tenth, Brian Stewart came 16th. He's in the $6,000 area. Maybe yes, like he po- was 67. Maybe, maybe like Poston and Stewart are two guys to look at. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, you mentioned Merritt, who, uh, yeah, I just keep I keep going back to that. Uh, Stewart would be interesting. Couple missed cuts in a row, but uh, a top five at what? What was that? Like the three or uh, uh, Rocket Mortgage, right? When they when they get to go there, so it, there's at least been some life recently. 
this is a pretty ugly range, Pat. When you're when you're down here making decisions, it's uh, just get guys that aren't super highly owned, right? True, but like, do you even need to dip into this range? Like, if you if I you do my strategy and just pass on all the ten thousand dollar guys, you lose a lot of win equity yeah. that way. But maybe it's a week that those guys don't win, and the nine k range really dominates. You can fill your roster out pretty easily with two nine k guys, an eight k guy, and three seven k guys. Yeah, I think if you if if you dip into the ten k you're going to have to dip into this range. I think, I think that's the, where we draw the line and it might only be for one guy, which is probably why armor is going to show up in so many lineups. It's probably why, well, maybe Landry won't, he's not as popular, but uh, like there's going to be like two guys in this range that show up in every lineup because they're paired with Snedeker or they're paired with Webb Simpson. So I, I think that's the delineation. If you are starting at Paul Casey, Patrick Reed, whatever it is in the $9,000 range, you probably don't have to get here. You can stick to that 7K range, fill up on those guys, get a couple of uh, 8K guys and go about your day. All right. Any final thoughts on the Wyndham Championship? Are you excited for the playoffs and golf? Uh, cautiously excited. I, I, I like the playoffs. I like the smaller fields. I like that they're going to narrow this down to 30. I'm super nervous about how it's going to go when Brooks Kepka starts at 10 under at the tour championship. So I, I, I won't knock it. I, my instinct is this is going to be horrible, uh, but I won't knock it until I see it. I think the, the tour had to do something to get one champion. The guy who wins the tournament is your, is your FedEx cup champion. So I, I like the idea of it. I'm a little nervous about how the, how it's going to be executed. Do we have any idea how like gambling or DraftKings is going to work that week? Because people have, people have like, I want to say like 13 to 15 different people are like, oh, here's how it's definitely going to work. But they're all completely different ways that it's going to work. So, no, no one has <laughs> yeah, any idea. No one knows definitely how it's going to work. I mean, I guess the easiest way, like just build in what their starting position is, right? So Brooks Kepka was, Kepka was already going to be the favorite. He starts with a two-shot lead, for example. Like he's going to have to be an even bigger favorite. I, I can't imagine the the time and energy it would take for everybody to try to figure out okay his final score was 17 under but he was really only seven under because we spotted him 10 strokes like that to me sounds like an absolute nightmare i'm i'm hoping it's just like hey here's the draft kings here's the draft kings pricing brooks kepka's like let's do it man like kepka's like 16 grand like something crazy right he's the best player in the field he's got the lead it's only 30 guys like let's do something crazy um, and just go from there. But I have no idea how it's going to work. Yeah. Maybe it's just a nice week to play showdown contests. There you go. That's probably the best way to do it. Why did you change your Twitter handle? Uh, to me, I like the, the Rick run good brand. I think it's easier to say like, Hey, Rick run good on YouTube, Rick run good on Twitter. Uh, DFS on demand to me was not like I was hiding behind the website's name, so to speak, but kind of like that. I've just always kind of liked the the Rick Rungood aspect of it. So when I got the, I've always had both and I just quick pulled the switch and um, you know, it was, it was pretty painless. I just, I just think it better fits what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish. All right. Go to the Rick Run Good YouTube channel or dfsondemand.com to check out all of Rick's work. There's videos, there's podcasts, there's a sports gambling show. Rick's got it all covered for you and focusing on PGA full time. So have fun with that over the swing season. Hey, uh, I'm super stoked. We're, to, to your point, we're going to pick on all those NFL guys who come in, think they're all big smarty pants, Pat, and try to jump into the swing season at Mayakoba, and uh, we're going to take their money. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so it's the Matt Kuchar swing season of immense profits. At least that's what it was last year. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. My bets will be up on my Facebook page tomorrow, Wednesday afternoon. I'll have a football show dropping on Wednesday, MMA on Thursday, another football show on Friday. Football's almost here. I can't ignore that fact, so we have to go back to two days a week with golf, two days a week for football, and then eventually it'll just morph in to a completely football show until golf restarts itself again, all right? Smash the like button for the episode. Get into the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open and become a member at FantasyNational.com today, all right? Good luck at the Wyndham Championship. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!